All right. Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Amritha, and uh, Karen, you made it. <laughs> I have a friend here from Colorado Springs. So glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome to Kalos Church. Those of you that are new, we're really thankful that you're here. I just want to give a big shout out to our team of people who come here at seven in the morning. Can we get a round of applause for this team? Yes, this team. I don't know if you know this, but they move every Sunday morning, they move 400 chairs. 400 chairs to set up this comedy club the way that it is. And so I'm really thankful that God has brought just some hardworking people who love God and love the church. So we're just so thankful for that. How many of you, how many of you went to our very first Kalo small groups this last week? Did anybody go to small groups? Yes, so we just launched, as a church, we just launched seven new small groups at our church, and I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited. I literally had someone tell me today, Amrita, I was going through such a difficult time, but I was so glad that I had a small group to go to uh, this week because I just poured out my heart, and people prayed for me, and I had some support, and I didn't have that before. And that's what small groups are for, right? Pastor Pradeepan always says, we don't want to be a church that just grows, and we just become butts in seats, but we want to be a community where as we grow, we also grow smaller because we know each other. We know each other. We know our names. We know our hurts. We know our pains. We know our kids' names, right? So I'm just really thankful for small groups. It's not too late to join a small group. You can go even this week. We have a list of all of the seven small groups at the table over there, our connections bar. So please feel free to grab that on your way out today and go to a small group. Just show up at the house. Take a friend with you. We would love to see you there. So I'm so excited this morning to talk about our, our sermon series on relationships has, is called Bad at Love. You don't have to raise your hand right now, but how many of you are bad at love? I mean, like some of your relationships, maybe some of your marriages, maybe some of you are like in your 15th dating relationship and you're like, I am bad at love. I used to admit that I am bad at love. And some of us in our marriages, don't raise your hand, are like, I really am bad at love. Like this is not going very well, you know? And so uh, I'm excited because the title of today's message is, What Do Happy Couples Do? What do they do? And uh, this week is our second series. Pastor Pradeepan is going to talk next week more on marriage. And then the fourth week, come back for the fourth week, because we are talking about the single life. So maybe you've been married before and you're single now, or maybe you've never been married and you're single. I didn't get married till I was 30, and I kind of rocked my 20s. I'm kind of proud of it, okay? It was just really fun. And I got married later, and it was just, it, we're just going to talk about the single life and that God has some really special things for you in the season of singleness that you are in. And so I was thinking this week about happy couples, and I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, there were some happy couples that I just sort of like idolized in my life, okay? So let's throw up that first picture. Uh, anybody remember this couple, right? Wilma and Fred Flintstone, they're a happy couple. I mean, they had their issues and they fought, but at the end of every episode, they loved each other again, right? I mean, Fred and Wilma, here's some trivia for you. Who can tell me what their cute little daughter's name was? Pebbles, wow, you guys are awesome. You remember that, look at that, look at Pebbles. Aren't they a happy couple? They're so happy. Okay, how about this couple? Let's go to the next couple, right there. 
Uncle Jesse and Aunt Rebecca, okay? So, <laughs> have mercy, right? So, um, Uncle Jesse, if you've ever watched the show Full House, listen, I idolized these two. I thought they were, the, I, I thought to myself, if I could get married and have a relationship like Uncle Jesse and Aunt Rebecca, my life is gonna be good. I idolize, they're a happy, happy couple. So I was thinking about maybe some more current love couples that we kind of idolize and look to, happy couples. How about that next one? Okay, Rachel and Ross. And I know you guys, you know, I was, I was thinking about them and I was like, really, they were a mess for 10 seasons, weren't they? I mean, they were just kind of a mess. So the true love, the true couple was, who's next? In this series, yes, there they are. Monica and Chandler, right? They were the ones who got love right. They were a happy couple. And uh, this morning, you know, have you ever been around those couples and you're like, they're so happy. Like they just, it just seems like they have it together. They just seem so in love. Their, their, their life is perfect. Their kids are perfect. Their house is perfect. You're like actually kind of rolling your eyes because you're like, they're so happy. But secretly you want to be them, you know? And uh, we all have those couples in our lives. And this morning, uh, I want to talk about what happy couples do. What is it that they do that is so successful? And so I want to dive into the scriptures first in Ephesians 5. This is kind of where we're, we're, we're taking our whole marriage season, uh, series out of this text, out of this scripture. So let's read Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ is the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, I was reading this scripture, and I've been praying for you. I, I literally thought of different couples in our, in our community, and I've been praying for you. And in this script, this scripture is just jam-packed, jam-packed with what happy couples do. And I think what it is is, is, is a little word that we kind of fight, fear, and sometimes forget about, and that is the word submit submission to one another. And, uh, but I believe that it is the key to what happy couples do, and I'm going to unpack that for you here in just a minute. I mean, wives are submitting to husbands. Husbands are submitting to the church. The church is, or husbands are submitting to God. The church is submitting to God. I mean, there's just submission going on all around. The first scripture says, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. And I gotta be really honest, as a single person, I kinda revolted against this word submission. 
And when I read Ephesians 5, uh, kind of back in the day, I was a little bit like, why does it feel like when it says hus- or wives submit to your husbands, why does it kind of feel like we get the shaft in this deal? Anybody ever been there? You sort of read that scripture, you're like, what is up with that? You know? And uh, I was, uh, Pastor Pradeepan and I, before we, when we first started dating, We started talking about getting serious, and he's like, listen, Amritha, before we get uh, any further in this relationship, I just want you to know something. I want you to know that uh, I really would, I would live wherever God would tell me to live or tell us to live. If that meant that we would live overseas as missionaries, if that meant we would live, you know, anywhere in the world, that's where we would live. And I was like, hold it. What? I was like... I was like, I, like, my plan in my life was to get married and to live near my family in little, like, nowhere Kansas, because that's where I'm from. And I was going to, like, my kids were going to grow up knowing their grandparents. I was like, no, I'm dating this guy who says he's willing to live anywhere. Wait, we're not going to live in Kansas? This was, this could have been a deal breaker for me. This could have been. And uh, so I started praying. I'm, I'm telling you, I got on my knees and I prayed. And I, I said, God, would you tell me where you're calling me? Because then I'll know if I should stay with this guy or not. So I wanted him to give me a location. Just tell me that I'm called to Kansas. I know some of you are like, why would you ever pray that? You know? <laughs> but that's what I wanted. And so I was just praying, God, where are you calling me? And, and I'm not kidding you. It wasn't like a lightning bolt moment with God. But it kind of felt like it. As I was praying, I just felt in my heart, just deep in my heart. You know when you kind of get this feeling deep in your heart? I felt like God was saying, no, I've called you to be with him. And I was like, heck no, I don't, I'm not going to be called to a guy, to a man. I am a strong, independent woman, and I will live where I want. I will eat what I want. I will do what I want. God, you've got to be calling me to a different location. But God said, no, I'm calling you to be with him. I want you to be with him. And so I, I had this just really sort of twisted way of looking at submission and looking at uh, a life that I sort of had all pictured perfectly. And I'm going to unpack for you what I believe God did in that. I'm going to share a little bit more of our story with you in this sermon. But I think something happens to us. I think somewhere along the line, we're married. And uh, let me just say this, first of all. This message, one of, when I was single, I heard one of the most profound messages on marriage, and I took it with me into marriage. So if you're single, or if you're engaged, or if you want to get married someday, or if you choose you don't want to get married, we all have relationships. And I really believe that this message could, could really mean something for you this morning. And uh, I think as we think about our relationships, so whether you're engaged, you're dating, you're married, or you're single and you have other relationships, you start out, we start out our relationships kind of in this happy world. We connect, you know, it just, it, we're, we're in a great place. And somewhere over time, we kind of get into what is the reality of the great struggle in our marriages, right? And uh, we don't always know what happened. We don't know when it happened. But like, have you ever asked this question in your marriage or in your relationships? Hey, what happened to us? What happened to us? We used to feel this way. We used to look this way. And now it just doesn't feel that way anymore. Felt like we were all on the same page when we met and, and the first couple years of marriage. And just somewhere over time, it doesn't really feel like we're on the same page anymore, if we're honest with ourselves. You know, and uh, how many of you have asked this to your spouse? Babe, how do we get back to where we were? How do we get back to where we were? We used to have something, and now it feels like 
things have just changed over time. Like girls, you know, you used to love when your when your husband or your boyfriend used to do something really kind for you, you know, and uh, it just meant the world to you. Any gesture of love toward you, you just you saw that and you just reveled in that. You love that. Now it's like he could clean the whole house, right? And you're just like, hey, babe, thanks for cleaning the house. You missed a spot. You know, like, thank you so much, honey, for, like, like cleaning up the, uh, the high chair, you know, with all the nasty spaghetti that our child just ate, but she missed the floor. You know, there's, like, still spaghetti on the floor. You know, we're like, guys, you're like, um, my girl, she used to play video games with me for hours, and now she's in the other room, and she's like, can you turn it down? Can you turn it down? You know, we used to be kind of like, there used to be something where it just kind of worked back and forth. And now it just seems like things have sort of changed. What happened? And I think in a lot of our marriages and in a lot of our relationships, one, we don't know what happened. And two, we don't know when it happened. And today I want to talk about two big perspectives that, that, that I think can really impact and even answer the question, what happened to our relationship? And uh, the first one is this. I, I, I am so excited about my little props here, okay? And uh, I, I saw this illustration uh, from a pastor named Andy Stanley, and I, it just was so profound to me that I had to share it with you today, okay? So I think that we go into our relationships, we go in as individuals coming into a relationship, and we say, um, I've got some, some hopes and some dreams and some desires. And so, you know, we go in and we're like, um, you know, we're like this, I, I've got an idea of how we're gonna handle our money, you know. I'm gonna get married, but you know, I, I, I still expect to have my own account. You know what I mean? Like none of this joint account stuff, you know. So we have our ideas and our hopes and dreams about how we're gonna handle money as we go into marriage, okay? So money. Um, let's see, how about this? Um, guys, you know what this is? This is toilet bowl cleaner, okay? You never used it. You never used it. It's called toilet bowl. It's called the works, okay? Toilet bowl cleaner, okay? So, you know, we go into marriage and we, we just say, hey, you know, some, some of us are just like, listen, my mom cleaned for me. Now my wife is going to clean for me. And we just have this expectation of how, like, the domestic chores are going to happen at home, right? So, you know, we have some hopes some desires about how that's gonna happen. Sometimes we communicate them to the person we're gonna marry, sometimes we don't know how to communicate that, but that's just sort of something that we think about. Okay, oh, we go in and we're like, oh, I hope someday we have a baby. Oh, I'm so excited to have a baby. And you know, you have your first one, you're like, you know, you're excited that you're gonna marry and have a baby. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I hope that my husband's okay, that we're gonna have two babies. You know, and in this case, this one's probably, one of them is adopted, looks like, clearly. <laughs> like my story. So, you know, you have these ideas about children and how you're going to raise children. And, and some of you are like, you know, um, <clears throat> there's a Bible, you know, we're, we're definitely going to be a couple that goes to church. We're going to be a religious family. We're going to go to church every Sunday. You know, and you, you just kind of think that. You just kind of hope that, you know. And uh, maybe you're somebody that's just like, you know, I, it's really important to me to have pets. I couldn't find a, couldn't find a dog or a cat. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, we wanted a pet duck, you know? I just want to bet we just have this at our house, okay? So you're just like, you know, it's important to me. Like, seriously, this is a real thing. Like, my, my mom loved animals and wanted animals in the house, but my dad was like, no way. No way. Animals are outside and do not come inside. So anyway, you just have this, you just sort of have this, you know, uh, idea of what that's going to look like. And what happens 
is as individuals, we, as individuals, we have these hopes, dreams, and desires, right? That we come into, we come into a marriage or come into a relationship with. And what happens over time is these, these are really beautiful. These are really beautiful. They're wonderful things. In fact, they're part of why we fell in love with each other, right? But what happens is we take these things and, and we kind of give them to our spouse and they become expectations. They can become expectations. And, and again, sometimes we know what that is. Girls, I'm just telling you, sometimes we're walking down the aisle at our weddings and we got flowers in our hand. Really what we should have, what we were really doing is we were carrying a box of expectations. This is hard with one. And uh, we basically just hand that over to our husbands. Or husbands, you hand that over. Maybe husbands, you're like, I don't even know how to really articulate my hopes, dreams, and desires. I didn't know that I really came into marriage with them, but you did. And they became expectations. And what happens over time, I really believe that this is what happens over time. What happens over time is that as we join our life together with someone else, we are, the dynamic of our relationship begins to change. Because while these things are good, when joined with someone else, they begin over time to sort of cause a little bit of friction. Like, and we start asking, what happened? Like, what, what, what kind of happened, you know? And we do a couple things. This friction starts to build and build. And because I'm coming into this thing with hopes, dreams, and desires that I kind of expected that we both, or especially you, would advocate for. And you would make sure this happens. And I think what happens is we begin to start realizing that, oh, man, as time goes on and life happens and kids happen and these things happen, like, it didn't go the way that I thought. I had this picture of what it was going to look like. It didn't go the way that I thought. And, um... Like, I thought we were on the same page with this before we got married, but just over time, this happens to everybody. Over time, it's not what it used to be. And I think we do a couple things. We take these legitimate desires and we make them expectations that our husbands and our wives must meet. And, and really, in fact, they become demands. So the first thing I want to say is this. When you're thinking about being bad at love, I think we're bad at love because we put our hopes, dreams, and desires on someone else, and they become our expectations. And, uh, you know, over time, we handle this dilemma, this friction, very differently. As we know, in America, 50% of marriages are failing. I think that we bail when this starts to get really tough. We bail, we, we exit our marriages. Or, and then we, we remarry and we find ourselves in the same sort of predicament and dilemma and friction is happening. Or we, we say this, we, um, we just, we just kind of say, listen, I'm out. Or, hey, I surrender. I'm just, I'm just tired of fighting. Ever been there? I'm just tired of the argument over and over. You have that argument in your marriage or relationship, you just hit that thing over and over again. You resolve it for a month or two, but you go back and we're just hitting that same issue over and over and over again. Or we say this, we say, listen, uh, I, 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 you owe me, you owe me. This, I, want you to, I want you to hear this, are these sentences that you have said in your marriage or in your relationships. Listen, we did this for the first 10 years of our marriage for you, now it's my turn. It's my turn. You put me through your addiction and your mess and your family issues for so many years and now I've had it. I've had it. I cooked, I did laundry, I kept the house clean, I kept the kids clean, and I am exhausted. I'm done. You owe me. How about this one? 
We spent all our money on your education. Now I want the money to go toward my dreams. Do you see what happens here? I want you to catch this. We, our marriages become transactional. Our marriages become a debt-debtor relationship. You owe me. And somewhere along the line, this started taking place because while we had beautiful dreams and hopes and desires, we put them over here in this box and they became expectations and demands. And I want to I say this to, to us as we consider what happy couples do. And this is my first point. Happy couples free each other of debt. They owe each other everything but our own, nothing in return. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says this, and this is very familiar, but I want you to catch this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It, let's say this together, it keeps no record of wrong. How many times have we read this scripture when we're sitting in our marriages, when we're tallying, and we're like, listen, I did this, I did this, I did this, and you owe me this, and you owe me this, and you owe me this. Listen, and, and uh, we were joking about this this week. Um, you know, like, I'm home with my son, my two-year-old, uh, during the day, and I have changed four diapers, okay? My husband comes home, and I'm like, babe, it is your turn. You better believe that I am keeping track and that I am keeping record, okay? It's your turn to change diapers, you know? And we just sort of keep record of what's wrong. And all of a sudden, we're not, we're not really in this together anymore. We're not fighting for each other's hopes, dreams, and desires. And instead, they've morphed, our dynamic has morphed into this like, hey, like you owe me this. You owe me this. I had a friend who um, almost, years ago, I had a friend who almost had an affair on her husband. And I say almost because the affair was emotional, it was physical, almost, uh, except they didn't, they didn't ever slept together. But it shattered her husband's heart. It shattered him. And uh, understandably, he kicked her out of the house, and she came and stayed with me for a few days. And uh, over time, they decided that they were going to work on their marriage, and they weren't going to split up over this, but they were really going to try to get past this betrayal and past this shattered heart and this, this hurt. And, and they went through some really dark days because what ended up happening is that this guy said, and again, hear me, I, I, I can't imagine what that would feel like, but this guy said, listen, from now on, we're doing things my way because you owe me. You shattered my heart. And this girl, this wife, while trying to work on their marriage and mend it, could never pay the debt back again. And, the, and, and, and marriage, just we just get into dark days when we owe each other that. And I want to say this. Happy couples pursue each other, not meet each other's demands. We ought to free each other from our debt. We've got to pursue each other. This is, what, this is why I'm saying these are good. But we've got to pursue each other and not just meet each other's demands. We've got to let go of what we thought it was going to look like. And you know, in Ephesians 5, Paul says this. He says, he says submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. But then he goes on and he speaks to the husbands and he speaks to the wives. Why didn't he just stop with submit to one another? Why did he go on to say, husbands, you must love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, you must respect your husbands. Why does he do that? I think that we've got to ask ourselves, why does Paul, the writer of this particular scripture, why does he say that? 
I believe this, husbands, I want you to hear me. Husbands, I believe that God is asking you to be as sacrificial in your marriage as Jesus is and as Jesus was. How far did Jesus go for the love of humanity? He went all the way to the cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church all the way to the cross. Give up your life for her. This is changes from a debt, debtor transactional relationship to a relationship where we lay our lives down for one another. Husbands, love your wives all the way to the cross. Husbands, pursue your wife. Do you know how she is loved? Have you asked her? Not just like I do these things and I know that makes her feel loved. I encourage you to go home after this message, husbands, and say, hey, babe, how do you experience love from me? Really listen to that. It's one of the simplest things that we can do is ask that question and say, how do you experience love from me? Love her as sacrificially as Jesus did. When, when Paul is speaking in the scripture to husbands, he's saying, love your wives as sacrificially as Jesus loved you and loved us. Wives, why does Paul say to respect our husbands? Why does he say that? You know, I've learned in my marriage, even like recently, we'll be honest, we're, we're pastors, but we're a real couple with real problems and our individual lives of hopes, dreams, and desires came together. And even from like year two to year five, we're on our fifth year of marriage. And uh, the, things have changed. Things change over time. And those of you that have been married for 15, 20 years, you're going to be like, Amrita, you have no idea. It does change. Wives, why is it so, I've realized this, I've realized that the times that I hurt Pradeepan the most is when I disrespect him. And there are times that I'm like, really, that was disrespectful? It didn't really feel disrespectful to me. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Sometimes it's my tone. Sometimes it's not even the content of what's coming out of my mouth. Sometimes it's my attitude. And sometimes it's my tone. And it's so important, wives, that we are very, very careful to respect our husbands. Paul thought it so important that he wrote it in the scriptures. And I want you to hear this, wives. I believe that submission, we're talking about submission in the scripture, true submission comes out of our respect for our husbands. If we respect our husbands, we will be able to really, truly submit to them. And it is a good thing. It is not a, girls, we got the shaft. It is, it is to protect our marriages. It brings hope into our marriages. Again, we must prefer our husbands. And you know what, girls? This is one of the most practical things I've realized. That one of the ways that I can respect my husband the most is talk less and play more. Okay? And that is something that I realized he loves. It, girls, listen. If your husband is into Bitcoin, you need to get on the gain train. You need to get on the game train, okay? Uh, my husband has been into Bitcoin, doggy coin, it's a year in the dog, I don't even know, okay? I don't even know, I don't care, I'm just like, babe, invest the money and show me the money, okay? But I need to be a little bit more interested. I need to learn that there's an app that they check and I don't even know, and, and every day he's like, Amrita, we just made more money, or oh babe, we just lost some money, you better start praying. You know, but whatever it is, girls, get on the game train. Talk less, play more, get involved in his interests. Happy couples free each other of debt. 
we move from a transactional debt-debtor relationship to a marriage of true submission, respect, and love for one another. Happy couples pursue each other through love and respect instead of meeting each other's demands. So we gotta start taking these things. Can't get this baby out of here. We gotta start moving these things. We gotta put them back here. Not, not that we've forgotten about them, not that they're not important, but our picture-perfect idea of what, th what this was gonna look like it, it's, gotta, it's gotta go back here. And when we pursue each other in love and respect, this will happen. Together, Pastor Pradeepan and I, we, we pursue together our hopes, dreams, and desires that we came into our marriage individually with, and, and they've changed a little bit, to be really honest. It, it's not what I pictured, and in fact, in most cases, it's been way, way better. Way, way better. So I want you to have hope today. I want you to believe that God designed this way, this institution of marriage, to work in a way that is life-giving and hopeful to you. And here's the last. So we've got this perspective. I want you to remember. I want you to remember. I want to move my marriage from a transactional debt-debtor relationship into a place where we're not meeting each other's demands. We're freeing each other of debt, and we're pursuing through love and respect and godly submission a, a marriage that is hopeful and works. So that's big idea number one. Big idea number two is this. Ephesians 5.21 says, And furthermore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Happy couples recognize that God chose me to demonstrate his love to my spouse. God chose me. Here it is, you guys. It all boils down to this. I believe that God is so interested in you knowing how much he loves you that he put your spouse in your life to demonstrate it for you, for him, and for you. I am starting to realize that God gave Pradeep in the role of being my husband so that he would be the most physical, the most tangible, daily representation and demonstration of Jesus' love for me. He's saying, Pradeepin, in this scripture, he's saying, listen, when you come to church and you move out to Washington and you start a church and you're reverencing me and you're worshiping me, I love that, Pradeepin. Now I want you to take that and I want you to lavish my love onto Amritha, your wife. I want her to know my love and I'm going to choose you to show it to her. I'm going to choose you because, Pradeepin, Amritha is important. And she matters. Her value is so deep and so amazing. I love her. And, and I believe that God is saying to me, Amritha, submit to Pradeepin like you do to me. Give him reverence. Give him admiration. Amritha, give him your heart. Don't put him first because he deserves it or doesn't deserve it. Love him because I have loved you, Amritha, this way. I have loved you. God is saying, you are my number one way to demonstrate my love to your spouse. Do you believe that this morning? You are my number one way. You know, uh, there are just quick practicals that I'm going to say, how do, we, how do we live this out? That's a big idea. And I want it to get into our hearts. How do we live this out? Craig Rochelle says this. I always want to bring some practicals into this. You know, he says this. He says, when you think something good, say it. 
Listen, speak highly of each other. Be on each other's team. Sometimes I say to Pretty Even Babe, you know why I love you? I love you because you're so handsome, but you're such a good dad. You lead our family so well. Be specific about the things that you love about each other. Love and respect each other. When you think something special, do it. Listen, some of you guys need to go out of your way on your way home from work. You need to go over to Pike Place Market and get your girl a beautiful bouquet of flowers. If you think something special, do it for her. Do it, don't wait. And when you want something different, be it. Are you asking your spouse to be something that you're unwilling to be? Be that. When you think something good, say it. When you think something special, do it. When you want something different, be it. I believe that these are keys to a healthy and happy marriage and relationships. And band, you can come on up right now. And I want to tell you a story about when Pastor Pradeepan and I got engaged, okay? So I, um, he, we, we started dating. Early on into our dating relationship, Pastor Pradeepan says this to me. He says, hey, I just want you to know that uh, I am not messing around. I'm dating you to see if we're compatible. And, you know, he just, he just didn't want me to think that he was just messing around, you know. He's like, I would like to see if this would go toward marriage. But I want you to know that I've made a commitment to myself that I'm never going to tell a girl that I love her until I propose to her. And I was like, huh, that's weird. I've never heard of that before. And uh, so I was like, okay. And, and I said, um, I said, well, why not? And he said, well, I just believe that the word love is an unconditional word. And I'm not going to say I love you to a girl until I can mean it, until I can truly be unconditional to her. And right now, we're dating. This isn't an unconditional situation. We're just dating. And uh, so I respected that. And I was like, fine, I'm not going to tell you I love you either. How's that for transactional? Huh? So I'm like, you're not going to say it. I'm not going to say it, you know? And so, so he was just like, he just, he shared that with me. And I thought that was so cool because what it meant to me was this. Amrita, I'm not going to let our intimacy exceed the level of commitment that we're at together. I'm not going to let it exceed that. I'm not going to uh, put your heart in a direction that we're moving somewhere and then just really break your heart and, and mess with it and play with it. And I really appreciated that. And so I knew, catch this. I knew that the day Pradeep and Jeeva said, I love you, Amrita, would be the day that he was proposing to me. And there were times as we were getting more serious that I was like, oh, I just wish he would tell me I love, that he loves me. I just really could use that, you know, because I really love him, but I'm not going to say it until he says it. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, uh, so, so as we moved on, um, we were, we were I, I actually was very shocked the day that he proposed to me because I thought he was super broke. And I thought that he like wouldn't propose for months and months because I thought he was really broke. He like, you know, anyway. And um, <laughs> So I was really caught off guard, and we were living in Minnesota at the time. It's where, where he grew up. And uh, we, were, uh, we were, he would blindfold me throughout that year to kind of trick me. And he would take me to really beautiful places in Minnesota where he grew up, because I was just becoming new to Minnesota. And he would blindfold me to kind of mess me up so that I never knew, like, is he proposing? Is, you know, whatever. I just didn't know. Again, I thought he was broke. And so this one day, we were going to get our favorite pizza. It's called Fat Lorenzo's in Minnesota. And it's our 
our favorite pizza in Minnesota. And he said to me, he said, listen, he said, let's go get Fat Lorenzo's and I want to go take you and, and let's, let's eat our pizza over the, uh, watching the sun go down. So he took me to this beautiful bridge and uh, I was blindfolded and I didn't know. And guys, that's a good tip for you. If you're going to propose, blindfold her a whole bunch before you're gonna before you're gonna propose so she doesn't see it coming so I was totally shocked I didn't see it coming and um so I'm standing there on this bridge he literally hoists me over his shoulder and at one point there was like a narrow plank that he had to like walk like very carefully I mean I thought I was gonna die but I couldn't see anything because I was blindfolded and um so I just I was like okay what is happening our pizza's getting cold I was actually really annoyed like really like I was like come on what the sunset cannot be that important and so we go and all of a sudden um he puts a phone in my hand I'm standing there I've got my coat on it's cold it's November Minnesota November and I've got a blindfold on and I've got uh, and he says hey I want you to listen to this song and uh and I'm like what and so he so puts it up to your ear put it up to your ear so I put it up to my ear and all of a sudden I hear his voice and I'm like whoa I hear your voice you know, like, that's weird. And so I'm trying to listen to it. And I'm like, what is going on? And I realized that this is a very well-recorded song. And he is playing the mandolin, which is awesome. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so I'm listening to the song. Do you guys want to hear a little bit of this song? You want to hear this? Okay, so I have a little clip for you. But before I play it for you, I want to tell you the words in case you don't catch it, okay? Hold it, hold it, hold it. Just one second. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> So I had no idea, right? And so here's, here's the lyrics. Okay, we're just gonna play just, just a little snippet of this song for you. Here's the lyrics that he wrote to propose to me. Okay, he wrote this song. And he said, this is how the lyrics go at the beginning. We won't listen to the whole thing. It says, I saw God in your face the first time we met and I knew I'd never do better. Shot spitballs in your face first time we ate and I knew I'd never do better. That's a story for another time. Okay, nobody get offended here for this next part. I thank God, cause you're hot, I like your butt. <laughs> I knew you'd never look better. Your kindness still hits the spot, I like your butt. And I know you've never been sweeter. I can't wait anymore. Listen, this is the first time I heard it. You must know that I love you so. You're the one, you're the one, you're the one. And I'm standing there and I'm blindfolded. I'm just tear, I'm just weeping. He said, I love you for the first time in this song. And I knew that he was proposing because I knew that the man that I was going to marry was not, even though I wanted it, I wanted him to say, I love you. He was going to wait until he was ready to make the commitment to unconditionally love me forever. And then the chorus says, you're the only girl in the whole wide world for me. Let's hit it, you guys. Let's play a little bit of it. You hear that mandolin? Sexy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I saw God in your face First time we met And I knew I'd never do better Shots and balls in your face I like your butt and I know 
Here we go. Come on, baby. It was kind of awkward. I take a blindfold off. He's on one knee. He's got the ring. He says some really beautiful things. And, and we ate our pizza, actually. Finally. <laughs> Finally. But I just want to say this. I, I don't share that with you to brag or to say that our story is better or that we've figured out this, this, this love thing. But, but the hope that we have in our marriage is the love that God gives for us. We believe, I believe that there's hope for you today in your marriage. That you can move from a transactional debt debtor relationship to free each other because of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I believe that you can believe. I, I, I actually cried over this this week. Recognizing that God loves Pradeepan so much that he would choose me to demonstrate that to him through marriage. And at first I was like overwhelmed and I was like, I totally suck. How could you choose me, you know? But you know what? God gives us everything that we need to have functional and healthy relationships. Yeah. I really believe that for you. If you're not a Christian in this room, I believe that for your marriage. If you are, I believe that for your marriage. If you're single, if you're dating, if you're engaged, I believe this for you. Happy couples, submit to one another in love and respect. Happy couples free each other of debt, pursue each other, and let go of the demands. And happy couples recognize that we're here to demonstrate Jesus' love to each other. I have hope again for your marriage. And I, I was thinking about Pastor Pradeepan and how he talked about using this word love. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you unconditionally. If you are far from God today, if you have made the worst mistakes, you say, Amrita, I, I have really messed up with God. I want you to know that you're not out of his reach. You're not out of his reach, that he loves you. It's the truth. I didn't, I didn't make it up. It's in, the, it's in the word of God. It's in the scriptures. He loves you. And if you don't feel loved today by your spouse or anyone, God loves you. It's the truth. And so we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you, if you've never accepted Jesus as a reality into your life, you can today. He loves you. And then I'm going to pray for your marriage and for your future marriages. And we're going to believe again, and we're going to let hope rise in our marriages and in our relationships again. So let's go ahead and bow our heads. And I'm just going to invite you, if, if you feel far from God, if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I want to give you a chance to do that today. His love is unconditional for you. So I'm just going to count to three, and I'm just going to ask you, keep with your, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, nobody's looking, to just slip up your hand really quickly and just say, Amrita, I want a life with God. 
whether it's for the very first time or you're coming back to him, on the count of three, you can just slip up your hand, you can put it right back down. You're just accepting God into your life. One, two, three. Just slip your hand up. Amen. We've got a couple hands. Yes, amen. And I want to pray really quick for marriages. And then those of you that slipped up your hands, all of us are going to say a prayer together. Let me just pray. If you are needing a touch in your marriage, eyes closed, head bowed, would you, would you slip up your hand, couples? Or maybe you're single and you're just saying, I, I need, I need this, Amrita. I need God in my relationship again. I've been holding on to some debt. Are we just going to pray? God, I thank you that marriage can be successful because of Jesus Christ. Thank you that your love is unconditional. And I pray that as we leave today, hope would rise again for our marriages. That we would believe, God, that, that your love is true and it matters and it can impact. The gospel can change our marriage, can matter in our marriage. In Jesus' name. I want you to go ahead and look up at the screen, and, and we're just going to pray this prayer together. Maybe you're praying this for the first time. If you are, what we're going to do is simultaneously, all together, we're going to pray this prayer. And if you raised your hand this morning, I want you to know that, that God loves you, and that today is a day that you should always remember. It's a really special day. So let's pray this together, all at the same time. Lord Jesus, I need you. All together. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Listen, if you.